We started off the week with a bang, you could say, with a brilliant burst of light on the mountaintop, the transfiguration of the Lord. So that vision of Jesus transfigured in glory is still in our minds. In fact, it kind of shines light on this whole week. We saw not only Jesus' glory, but the glory that he has in mind for us. The, the goal of the Lenten journey is not only the death and resurrection of Jesus, but also our eternal salvation, because that's why he dies and rises in the first place, for our sake. So that vision of glory is, is like setting before us a very great incentive to continue running the race. And, you know, people have known this for, 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 well, maybe in all of human history, everyone knows that if you have a greater prize, the, the, uh, the contestants try harder, right? If, if the prize money is only 100 pesos, well, people aren't going to run that hard. But if the prize money is a million pesos, well, people will, I mean, they'll, you'll get the best runners in the country and, and they'll run as, as fast as they can. So if the prize is glory, well, then the runners, meaning all of us, should be, have incentive to strive harder. Okay, so that's part of what's happening here in the second week. And we heard the voice of the Father say yesterday, this is my beloved Son, listen to Him. That's what we do every day when we turn to the Scriptures. We listen to Him. We listen to the Lord. The Lord speaks to us through the Scriptures. So let's turn to today's Scriptures. We have a, you could say, two, two-sided lesson. One is on how bad we are, and the other is how good God is, just to put it in very simple terms. <laughs> how bad we are and how good God is. Well, how bad are we? If you read this passage from the prophet Daniel, we're really bad. <laughs> We've really made a mess of it. And he, now, it's not Daniel himself, he was a righteous man, but he recognizes the condition, the human condition, which is pretty obvious if we look at it with, with open eyes, with honesty, the human condition is quite seriously disordered, not only in the days of Daniel, but in every age. Now we can just open our news feed or whatever we, whatever we use to get news nowadays, and we find out, gosh, just all sorts of wickedness and, and, and foolishness and selfishness just dominating the human family. Nowadays, the, there's a lot of talk about the second anniversary of the, of the war, the start of the war in Ukraine. And like any war, it's a story of one terrible action after another. I mean, uh, not only the, the, the deaths, but the destruction of, the destruction of, of uh, people's lives and then the, the breaking up of families, you know, the... Uh, so-called deporting of the Ukrainian children to Russia, really kidnapping, but they call it deporting the hundreds and hundreds of children, or the, the uh, refugee crisis. And then 
turn the page and you get the war in Gaza, and that's even worse because there's more people affected, at least in the short term, by a much worse condition of, of virtual starvation, and they're, they're trapped there between their own, the Palestinians in Gaza are trapped between their own wicked leaders in Hamas and their opponents, the Israelis, who are trying to eliminate Hamas. So, and, and neither of these conflicts seems to have any solution. Now, 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 when I bring up these terrible worldwide conflicts, I say, well, yeah, that's bad people in bad places doing bad things. What does that have to do with us? Well, we have to remember, most people are not, are not uh, evil tyrants trying to take over the world. Most people are just petty, and I'm talking about ourselves too, selfish, weak, ignorant, lazy, and that is enough to, to build up a huge pile of disorder. It doesn't take a million terribly evil people who are just controlled by wickedness, or really malicious people. It just takes a, a community of just basically selfish and petty, vengeful, dysfunctional people. And that's what, that's what we are. And that's how bad we are. And, and uh, Daniel puts it very well. We've, we haven't obeyed. We haven't done what God said. We're, we're unjust. We're shamefaced. And justice is on your side, Lord. I mean, what can we say? You can hardly say we deserve better treatment. But he knows the Lord. Daniel knows the Lord. So he, he can ask for mercy because God is compassionate and forgiving. He's, he's kind and merciful down to the thousandth generation. Okay, so that takes us to the second part. The first is how bad we are, how good God is. Well, how good God is, we saw that yesterday on the mountain. He is really good. He is gloriously good. And not only is he good in heaven, but he has brought this goodness down onto earth and he gave those three apostles a glimpse of it. Of course, God is good. I mean, in heaven and he loves the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are just an intense communion of love. But that that communion of love has entered into the human condition. That's Jesus. In today's gospel, Jesus, imparting wisdom to our disorder, is telling us how to do it better. And, and basically, he's, he's telling us to be like him. <laughs> be merciful, just as your father's merciful. Why should we be merciful? Because God is merciful, not because we want to be or because it's our good idea. We're, we're, we're made by a merciful God, and we're made in the image of a merciful God, so that's the right way to live. Stop judging, you'll not be judged, stop condemning, forgive and you'll be forgiven, etc. And then this line, which always stands out, I think because of that famous uh, expression of the, uh, the El Shaddai, you know, sik sik lig lig uma apau. This is God's desire for his people. Sik sik lig lig uma apau. The good measure, good, good, good things are in store for you in good measure, packed together, shaken down, overflowing. More than you can measure is, is what God has in mind. So how good is God? Well, he's overflowingly good. He's abundantly good. He's, he's immeasurably good. Okay, so these are the two, the two uh, 
situations, the how bad we are, how good God is. Now, we have to do a little theology here because what does the good God do with his wicked people? If you take the position of some of the Protestant reformers, say Calvin, for example, Calvin's position was that the human condition is what they call total depravity, total depravity, <coughs> hopeless case, nothing you can do, all that. Or if you want to use the image of Martin Luther, this is a famous image, Martin Luther said the human condition is like a pile of manure. And that's it. I mean, you can't make it any better. So then what does God do according to that way of thinking? Well, he just pours out his goodness on the unworthy people, on the totally depraved people, and he just decides to save them. The whole doctrine of predestination in the Calvinist tradition. Or, in the, to use Luther's image, snow. Snow on a pile of manure. So it looks clean and white. <laughs> That's his image of salvation. Now, I, 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 maybe he has a better way of describing it, but that's the famous image. So that's what it means to be saved. We look clean because God has poured his cleanness on us, but if you look down inside, still manure. That's not the Catholic way of understanding the human condition. And I think today's gospel helps us get a little bit more nuanced understanding. The Catholic position is that, yes, we are deeply wounded, dysfunctional, but we're not totally depraved. We are still capable, first of all, of some of freedom. We have freedom. We can decide between good and evil. We're still capable of some good acts and of decisions of love. Even though we are so deeply wounded and we made such a mess out of our world and of our, of our human family. So, now, we can't by ourselves muster up enough love to restore ourselves. No, that's true. In that sense, we're totally depraved. In that sense, we're corrupted. But we're not corrupted to the point that we can't do anything. And the reason why I stress this is because God clearly wants us to participate in our own salvation. He wants us to do our part. That's why Jesus says here, the measure with which you measure will in turn be measured out to you. If it was, if he was if he was talking to people who just couldn't do anything, total depravity, well then this this would be an unfair thing for Jesus to say. The measure with you with which you measure, because we don't have any measure if we're if we're totally depraved, if we can't do anything good, well then then this means nothing will be measured out to us because we can't do anything. But Jesus is implying we can. <coughs> do something. We can respond to grace with God's help. So we can take seriously his commandments, be merciful, or we can be merciful. And it's not all God just making us merciful. It's, it's 99% you know, God, but it's 1% us. He doesn't force us to be merciful. We can stop judging. We can make a decision to give people the benefit of the doubt and hold back a condemnation that rises up in our nature. We can. That's why it's possible for, with God's help, for wars to stop. I mean, they look impossible. You look at those wars I mentioned, they look impossible, but they're not. That's why we pray for peace, because we're, what we're praying for is that 
God's wisdom and God's love and God's mercy and God's willingness to forgive starts seeping into the human condition of even people who don't believe and, and, and transforms the situation. And this has happened many times. You know, wars eventually end. Sometimes they end because people are all dead <laughs> or there's no more money or something like that. But, you know, it is possible to, to overcome the, the seemingly impossible disorders with God's help. Okay, so then God said, Jesus says here, give and gifts will be given to you. Now, if, if you take this wrongly, it looks like God only gives because we give. And, you know, sometimes preachers say this, you know, if you give a big donation to the church, you'll be, you'll be a rich man. <laughs> well, you've heard that prosperity gospel. If you give to me, meaning pastor so-and-so, well, then God will certainly give you more than, than uh, you gave. Now, that's not exactly what this means, because the, the gifts that God has in store for us are eternal gifts. The land flowing with milk and honey is not Israel. The land flowing with milk and honey is an image of heaven and eternal glory. So we're not buying gifts from God by being generous. What we're doing is opening ourselves, because this is our part, we're opening ourselves to the abundance that God has in store for us. So to give is not to make God give to us. To give is to open up a space for God to do what he wants to do anyway. You see that? So I, I, I guess yeah, there's a little theology there, a little Catholic theology, the, the idea that we have a, a, a role to play in our own salvation, which is actually an, under, an understanding of greater human dignity. We're not manure covered by snow. We are broken, weak children of God who can trust in God to make things better. Yes, we have been disobedient. Yes, we're shamefaced. Yes, we have, you know, from, from the ages, of, ages past up until this very day, we made a mess out of things. But we can open ourselves to the power of God. And that's a beautiful way to understand what we're doing in Lent. Otherwise, why have Lent? I mean, if it's all up to God, but then why does he have, why does, why Lent? Why pray fast and give alms? Because that's how God is transfiguring us. He's not just forcing us to go through a bunch of rituals. He, he's inviting us to grow in holiness with his, his gifts. Okay, so that's what we're doing in Lent with the, with the prize of eternal glory set before us. We recommit ourselves to this difficult journey and humbling journey, but with confidence in the mercy of God.